Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. So, you know what today is? Today is a paranormal paranoid news that's, episode. That's exactly correct, Carol. It's another edition of Paranormal and Paranoid News. Welcome. And thanks Thank for you. being here. The first story I want to talk about is um, a well-known internet story that I chose not to cover for the fact that it's been covered by about a billion people on the internet, but it is essentially the Dyatlov Pass mystery. Yes. They believe it's been solved. I heard that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give everyone an update on what the, well, first of all, to let people know what the story is that don't know the story. And then second of all, talk about the different theories that they've thrown at this series of events. And number three, what the new investigation has come out and said happened to these people. And then the aftermath of that. So this is kind of a long story. But if you're interested in the Dial of Past story, um, you're going to want to listen if you don't know the latest and greatest. So for those of you who don't know the story of Dyatlov Pass, Dyatlov is actually the name of a hiker in Russia who put together a group of other hikers, about nine people. Actually, there was 10 altogether, but one guy ended up going back early. And then so there was nine of them that went up into the mountains of the Ural Mountains of Russia to essentially go on a hiking trek in the middle of February when it was ice ice cold baby out there they ended up not returning and so eventually the search search and rescue party went up there to look for them and found them and it was very bizarre how they found them and they were not clear how they died that's essentially what happened in a nutshell um but this it's called the dyatlov pass mystery not because of the pass they died at was named dyatlov it was because it was the name of the lead hiker (laughs) so it's kind of confusing but you know whatever So, in 1959, these nine Russian skiers go up into the Ural Mountains of Russia in the dead of winter, like I said. They don't return. A couple weeks later, they send up a search party. They find their tent, and it has been cut open from the inside, and everybody that was in the tent is gone. They did find their footprints and determined that this group of people had walked calmly away from the site in either their stocking feet, their bare feet, or one person had a boot and a sock on but they could track their footprints through the snow they follow them down to this tree line where they find two members of the party and when they find these two members they're both under a tree wearing only their underwear and obviously they had been sitting next to a burning fire So they uh, also looked up in the tree and they found there was broken branches about 12 to 15 feet up with skin and clothes on the trunk of the tree. So they're trying to figure out why on earth these men in such cold, windy, terrible, unsurvivable conditions are in their underwear sitting out underneath this tree and they're dead. They're trying to go, what happened here? Right. Right. Very mysterious. Very weird. 
Uh, and where are the other people? They're, they're only mm -hmm. finding these first two. Um, they eventually find a couple more of the hikers and they are on, they're fully clothed and they are on a trail heading back to the tent, which was in pitch black darkness. But it looked like they were trying to find their way back to the tent. I think they found oh. two or three more of them and they had frozen to death. Um, eventually they find a fourth hiker who had also frozen to death, um, trying to find his way back to the tent. So now they have, I think six of them or so, or actually, no, I'm sorry. They had five of them. Yeah. They had five, five, found five people. So they brought them in and they did autopsies. And what they found was the two men they found by the fire had blackened fingers and third degree burns on their bodies. One guy had burns along his shin and foot. Another had burned hair on one side of his scalp. And he, one of them had actually bitten off a chunk of his hand and they found it in his mouth. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so in all the bodies had various bruises, cuts, and scratches on them. So they didn't really couldn't understand why these people would cut open their tent from the inside and take off, knowing full well that their ability to survive under those kind of harsh weather conditions mm -hmm. and various states of undress were were not going to be survivable, right? They were right. not going to be able to live out there without their clothes. And why on earth would they take off, right? So they were trying to figure this out. A few months later, a hunter and his dog find the other four victims. And they are found, um, let me see, in a snow den inside of a stream bed, not far away from the tree where the two men had been found with the burns. When they found those four members, um, they extracted their bodies. They were under a massive pile of snow. And... One of the hiker's skulls was so pulverized that pieces of bone were driven into his brain. And two of the other people that they found in the snow cave had crushed chests and broken ribs with massive hemorrhaging. And even stranger still, one of them was missing an eye, while another was missing both eyes, a ton in the upper lip. Yeah, that's so strange. It's just like they got pummeled by something. Right. So when reviewing the bodies, it was determined that some of the hikers were wearing clothing cut off the bodies as some of the other hikers, like the two men they found by the fire. Mm -hmm. They cut their clothes off and were wearing their clothes as well. Didn't you say a long time ago that people who get cold or frostbite feel hot yeah. and they like to take off their clothes? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's I part of the that delirium that you go through. It could have, that. I suppose. But they said they were cut, so I don't know if oh. the men cut them themselves or if they cut them later. I don't know. Um, but even stranger still, some of these clothes showed that they were emitting high levels of radiation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Which makes it even stranger. The Russian government didn't like anything about this investigation, so they shut it down, and the lead detective said he, he closed the case, and he said... It should be concluded that the case of the hikers' demise was an overwhelming force, which they were not able to overcome. And that was not a very good resolution for the families of these hikers. No. They were like, that's ridiculous. That's totally lame. So it, basically, it opened the door for this story to be hotly debated for years. They speculated, people have speculated everything from an alien attack to yetis living up in the woods <laughs> that attacked them to a group of indigenous people that attacked them to a Russian missile test gone awry. They were killed by the KGB. You name it, someone has theorized about this case somehow, right? So the families of the hikers have been adamant that they want the case reopened and answers given as to why their loved ones died that February night. 
Finally, two years ago, now this happened in 1959, but they didn't reopen the case until two years ago. So it's been a long time, and there's not many relatives left alive of these people who died that are still trying to get the government to go back and look at this. But finally, two years ago, the Russian government was like, fine, we will go back and check this out. It was investigated by a prosecutor named Andrei Kurikov. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He put together, he actually did a pretty good job. He put together a team of scientists to study the Dyatlov Pass incident. And not just through the photos, he brought his team up to the area in 2019 in the dead of winter so they could really determine what happened to these hikers under the same conditions. They were able to determine where the tent had been placed in 1959 by using a process called photogrammetry, which included referencing the images taken of the tent in 1959. They were able to determine that the hikers had pitched their tent in a somewhat precarious location, and the weather that night was much more extreme than they had originally thought. They were battling a storm that included 65 miles per hour winds, and temperatures and the minus 30 degree range. That's really Ooh. cool. Yes. Okay. So after collecting this information, Kirkov was able to dismiss 72 of the 75 possibilities commonly discussed about that night. He said, quote, a large class of these 75 versions are conspiracy theories alleging that the authorities were somehow involved in the incident, end quote. So he's basically saying that the authorities were not involved and i got all this from the new yorker who did a great article on, oh, okay. on this that's, that's where that quote came from was the new yorker so that left him with three other possibilities there was either an avalanche which has been widely discounted as a possibility right um there was a, either a hurricane which a hurricane i guess they're gonna have a hurricane out in the middle of the winter or somewhere or in a, a mountain in the mountains i guess okay. that was another possibility hmm. and a slab of snow hit the tent he was able to discount the avalanche and the hurricane, but that left him with the slab of snow theory, and that is what they believed happened to the group. So here's how it went down. A slab of snow. A slab of snow. Kurikov and his team determined that based off the photos taken by the group of where they pitched their tent in 1959, they put it in a spot that would protect it from these howling winds that they were encountering. However... When they uh, went to pitch the tent, they dug a little bit into the snow, which disturbed some of the snowpack in the area. So the snow did not immediately come tumbling down on them. So they went ahead and pitched it and they went inside and they were getting ready to eat because when they looked inside the tent, they had been laying out their food, getting ready to eat, and they were all getting undressed and getting ready for bed, right? At some point, an unsecured slab of snow slid down the mountain and hit their tent and buried part of it, which is why they cut it open from the inside and jumped out in various stages of undress because they were not prepared for that. But what they decided was that means an avalanche is coming. So they believe this avalanche was on its way. So what they did was they went ahead and said, okay, we better get out of here. And they calmly walked away from the spot down towards the tree line where they will be more safe, right? Okay, yeah. so this is what they said. Through their amassed experience, they believed that small patch of snow hitting their tent meant an avalanche was on the way, so they chose to walk away from the tent in order to find a safer area to build a fire and hopefully survive the night, which is what brought them to the tree line in the first place where the first two men were found. They needed wood to build a fire, so somebody scampered up the tree, broke the tree limbs off. That's why they found the skin and the clothing on the trunk. So they broke off the tree limbs and used that for the fire. 
However, the fire was not enough to keep them warm. So the two men with the least amount of clothes on were so cold, as an attempt to keep warm, they burned their own body in the fire. One even bit off his hand, in, either in hypothermia delirium or to see if he could get any sensation to his frostbit finger. Oh my God, this is so awful. It's so awful. Once these men were dead, the others cut their clothes off of them and added it to their own bodies to try to stay warm. At that point, as the theory goes, three of the hikers decided to leave the fire area and go back to their tent in the pitch black dead of night, which is why the searchers found them headed in that direction. However, they froze to death before they could find the tent. So why do you think they were trying to get back to the tent? I would think they, their chance of surviving without a fire would be really I awful. I don't know, but that but that's just part of the theory as to yeah. why they found them where they did. The remaining four that were found in the creek bed in the ravine decided to build a snow cave. However, the stream had hollowed out a tunnel in the area where they were digging, and their digging caused the roof of the tunnel to collapse onto them, smashing them against the stream bed and covering their bodies with 15 feet of snow. The pressure in the forest from the impact is what caused the high-impact injuries found on their bodies. The missing eyes and tongue were most likely from hungry animals and decomposition. So the last part of Kirikov's theory is regarding the mysterious radiation found on some of their clothes. Yeah, I'm wondering about that. Yeah, he said that two of the hikers had been exposed to radiation because of the Mayok nuclear explosion from two years prior, which oh I've never God. heard of. Have wow. you? No. Okay. So there was a nuclear explosion two years prior, which caused a radioactive cloud to launch up 200 miles into the air. One of the hikers had worked on the cleanup of this event, and another one had lived in a village in the area that was exposed to the radiation from the explosion. He believes that that is why radiation was found on their clothes. It was left over from a nuclear event two years prior. Which yeah, is quite a... That that's... to me is the weakest part of the theory, really. But that's what he I saying. mean, it's interesting that there was, though, an explosion there or yeah. some sort of contamination. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know how they say the simplest uh, solution is the right one. Yeah, Occam's razor theory. Occam's razor. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a pretty complicated yeah. uh, set of There's a lot of ways people died in various circumstances, and it is quite strange. Right. So... Kirikov held a press conference announcing his conclusion of what happened to the hikers and did so without the permission of the government. His theory had been met with rejection, anger, and punishment. A group called the Dyatlov Group Memorial Foundation has written to Kirikov's boss telling him that they believe the hikers were killed by, quote, the atmospheric release of a powerful toxic substance, end quote, and tend to adopt the secret weapons theory as the correct one. <laughs> so that they were testing secret weapons yeah. out there, and that's what happened. The families of the dead are also angry with his findings. Even people who followed the story for years have rejected this conclusion. Kirikov was ultimately removed from his post and put into a new position. The foundation is demanding another investigation into the hikers' deaths. The saddest part about the story, Carol, if Kirikov's theory is correct, that means that the members of Dyatlov's hiking party died because of their vast experience. So this is what the New Yorker says, quote. Really? Mm-hmm. Kirikov noted that although the skiers made an error in the placement of their tent, everything they did subsequently was textbook. They conducted an emergency evacuation to ground that would be safe from an avalanche. They took shelter in the woods. They started a fire. They dug a snow cave. 
Had they been less experienced, they may have just remained in the tent, dug it out, and survived. But avalanches are by far the biggest risk in the mountains in winter, and the more experience you have, the more you fear them. The skier's expertise doomed them. That is so sad. Isn't that sad? <laughs> I have been fascinated with that story for so many years. Yeah. And just not, there never seemed to be any rational explanation other than like an otherworldly event, like yeah, a monster or something. some alien, you know, attack or something like that. Right. So this is really interesting and. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah. I mean... I'm pretty impressed. I think it's probably close to accurate. Now, a lot of people are angry about this, so I'm not trying to piss anybody off. But after hearing that, I'm like, that makes logical sense that they would Mm -hmm. think it was an avalanche coming, which is why they chose to leave the tent. But the radiation part, I think, is the weakest part of the theory. But but it it isn't... um, It kind of explains 98% of why things went down the way they did. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the um, the, uh, the snow hitting their tent, the way that they decided an avalanche was coming, they were went out to the fire. What happened at the scene of the fire, which is horrific, what happened at the snow cave is horrific. And then what happened when they were hiking back to the tent is also bad. Right. Like, these people were doomed. And if, any, if there is a paranormal element to this, it was that... Some evil force was out to get them that night one way or the other. It's the stuff that horror movies are made of, but I think it's more like, it's more of a, um, the nature versus man than anything else. Right. And I think people are just really disappointed too, because if it ever was found out it was a government experiment or something like that, these, these families could be compensated at some point. Right. And so I can see how they just really don't want to accept this as the only answer and and still want to continue with an investigation and i don't know if it's the families that are asking for it or just the research uh facility right you said i think the families do the as well families i think they're well. nobody likes this theory right. um they don't yeah. think they all think i think I most like of it. them i do too I, but i think, I think most of them sense. don't trust the government they feel yeah. like the government was somehow involved yeah but you know what they've been tracking it a lot more closely than i have so perhaps they have more in- information that makes them believe that right so who am I? But um, it's an interesting theory. Yeah, I, I heard that they had come up with a theory and I hadn't read about it because I was like, oh, they're just going to say it was an avalanche. So I'm glad at least they didn't just, you know. Not an, avalanche, an avalanche per yeah. se, but um, because there would have been more evidence of an avalanche, which mm-hmm. is why that was discounted early on. But a small slab of snow would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow, very cool. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe that's what happened. We're just putting that out as yeah. maybe. We're not saying that it did. We're just saying perhaps. Perhaps. Okay. So my next story, Carol, I know you already know all about it because you sent it to me. I did. (laughs) I send send Holly so many stories that I come across that I'm like, here, you might. You might want to use this. Uh, from coast to coast AM, many residents Love in the our town. Love coast to coast. <laughs> many residents in the town of Monteguedo claim to have seen a UFO, or as they put it, quote, a puzzling halo of light appear in the sky and descend to the ground, end quote. Once on the ground, said object released a theme from the craft. 
They described it as, quote, approximately one foot tall and sported three fingers on each of its hands, end quote. <laughs> it was also reported that it had big eyes, but it was blind. Upon touching the earth, the thing apparently stood up and then started wandering the streets of the town and scaring everyone who saw it, which apparently was quite a few people, Carol. Oh, really? The people said it was like the chubacabra. Nice. Which validates our theory that El Chupacabras are just pet dogs for aliens. Right. I was thinking that with the three fingers yep. and everything. I'm like, ooh. This would it's make a pet. That's right. This would make perfect sense that they were just letting their chupacabra out, probably to pee and run around a little bit before they beamed it back up into their <laughs> spacecraft, probably along with a cow or two. The residents claimed that the creature eventually disappeared along with the weird UFO craft that they saw. There were also some marks left on the ground from where the thing had been. This was such a big event that it was even covered by a Telemundo show called El Rojo Vivo. They were able to interview some of the witnesses and they showed their drawings of the chupacabra or the thing that they saw. And that is so cool. I love it when we're validated with an idea that it's a escaped pet. I know, right? <laughs> so funny. They're totally working together. The they chupacabras are. and they the are. aliens. We know that for sure. Yeah. So um, we also have an update on the Sasquatch quest happening in the great state of Oklahoma. Yes. What's going on there? The bounty is now up to $3 million. No, it keeps getting higher. It's getting higher. <sighs> and they're definitely doubling down on the fact that they are the state where Bigfoot lives. I am sorry, bitches, but no, he lives in the Pacific Northwest as well. Absolutely. I've seen him. So yeah. I know. Carol's dated him. <laughs> so you know oh, that we, was a long time ago a long time ago he had a lot of back hair she was not <laughs> into it so um yeah but they have doubled down and now it's up to three million dollars um there's a video on youtube showing justin humphreys the representative from oklahoma who's pushing this whole thing the oklahoma house of representatives to let them know how excited he is for this promotion and how surprised he was by how much attention the idea has garnered for the great state of Oklahoma. More specifically, the southeast corner of Oklahoma, where he says Bigfoot surely lives. Where the only trees are in Oklahoma. <laughs> Probably. No, I'm There's that, that I really don't five know trees. Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. And he just jumps from one tree to the next. Right. <laughs> like a monkey. Like a monkey. He said when he filed the original Bigfoot bill, it was just a, quote, shell bill. And that he was just trying to drum up attention for a festival in Hono Bay, Oklahoma. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, which he claims is Bigfoot's home. Now he says there are film crews coming to Oklahoma and movie producers coming there trying to make movies about Bigfoot. So he's drumming up a lot of money, not just from the tourism, but from the film industry as well. So they're all coming out there to like figure out how they can make movies and make money, obviously, off of this Bigfoot um, thing that he's got going on. Um, he um, So he dressed the house, and they're all kind of laughing and snickering about it and stuff. But he brought a guy with him named Phil Silva. Phil Silva owns Gas Squatch, which is a gas station Bigfoot tourist stop. And during the speech, he pulled Humphreys aside and whispered in his ear. And after he did that, Humphreys went back to the microphone and said that, oh, it looks like we're going to up the bounty to $3 million. So I don't know if this Phil Silva is the one fronting the rest of the money to get them up to the $3 million mark or what, but it came off looking like that. So anyway, three mil now for Bigfoot in Oklahoma. I heard that the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is going out there to find Bigfoot, <laughs> which I thought was funny. I hadn't heard that they are. Yeah. 
And oh I think that's going to be it's comedy, pure comedy. Catching fire. Yeah. It really is. I mean, I guess it's brilliant for the marketing strategy that he's trying to employ. But um, yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, yes. So another news. Other news. The Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch is back on the History Channel for season two. Yay! Yay. History Channel. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. And for those of you who don't know what Skinwalker Skinwalker Ranch is, it's a ranch in northeastern Utah, and it has been a hotspot for various strange and paranormal activity, including cattle mutilations, sightings of UFOs and orbs, portals, and strange wolf-like creatures. Portals. Portals and strange wolf-like creatures that parole the land. The current owner of Skinwalker Ranch, Brandon Fugel, recently wrote a great article for Newsweek in which he talks about buying the Skinwalker Ranch, which I will link in our show notes below. He says he's not really necessarily a believer, but he is an experiencer, and he makes a distinction between the two, which I think is really cool. So he said that um, in the fall of 2016, um, he was traveling east on a dirt road along the ranch with several other witnesses with him when they all saw a flying saucer hovering above the mesa. He cool. said from that point forward, in, he said, quote, from that point forward, installing an appropriately instrumented observational scientific surveillance program became the top priority in my stewardship, end quote. <laughs> so he's experienced something he can't explain. Yeah. But he believes that it can be explained eventually, which is why he bought Skinwalker Ranch to begin with. He thought that would be really great for him to be a part of, the, of finding out what's really going on there. So he had that experience in 2016 and that's really compelled him to, like I said, not be a believer necessarily. He just doesn't have all the information, but he's definitely an experiencer, which I think is a great way to distinguish between the two terms. Are we experiencers for the most part? Um, or are you a many, believer? Um, I don't think I'm an experiencer because I don't believe I've ever had an experience with a UFO. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I haven't either. But I have seen a lot of evidence that could support there's something out there. So I'm not necessarily a believer, but I do believe there's something out there that we don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm not an experiencer or believer, but I am a possibilityer. <laughs> a possibilityer. <laughs> that's even better. I don't even think that's a word. It's not, but I'm open. You're open to the possibilities that it could be something that we don't know. The truth is out there, Holly. Thanks, Fox. Mother. That's what I'm after. The yeah. truth. Cool. All right. So um, the reality show that he went ahead and signed up with the History Channel for has a season out where they brought he's brought in a bunch of scientists to do different experiments on the land to try to figure out how the land will react or the UFOs will show up or whatever else may happen. So the first season was pretty interesting. Now there are a couple episodes into the second season, which I've been watching, but I won't go into detail about them now. I'll wait for the entire 10 episodes of season two to air first, and then I'll do a recap. Um, but it's interesting that they're doing a bunch of different experiments to see what they can find out. But again, it's a reality show. So how much of this is scripted and how much of this is bullshit? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, um, you know, it, they have to make it entertaining. So they, they have do. to keep coming up with yes. new and better information. And, and that's where it kind of gets dicey because it's like, well, you got to make it good. You know, you can't just say the same thing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, you guys can um, tune into 
the Skinwalker Ranch. If you don't want to wait for my update after all the episodes have aired, you can just go ahead and watch for yourself. It airs Tuesday nights on the History Channel, 9, 8 Central Time. And no, we do not have a deal with And you're Channel. welcome, History Channel, for <laughs> yeah. your free advertisement we, from Fireside Phantom. We do not have a deal with them. We're just letting you guys know if you're interested in it, where to find it out. So my last story, Carol, is about the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Remember I talked oh about them gosh. a while back? Wow, I love them. They're so creepy. They're so creepy and cool looking. So cool. Yeah, they are. are so have they been spotted again? They've been a couple more spottings of the Fresno Nightcrawlers, but not in Fresno and other places. Oh. A man and his wife in December of 2014 were driving home in rural Highland County, Ohio. Oh, Ohio. Ohio. Apparently, the man spotted, quote, an entity that was asphalt gray and about seven feet tall. He had no arms that he could see. But muscular in the leg area, no jawline, and its legs were bent backwards and it leaned forward as it ran. The thing ran across the road in front of them and off into the woods. The wife did not see it, but her husband, who was a former Marine, yelled out when he saw it, which got her attention, but by then it was gone. And the Marines, you know, they're not scared of anything. No, they're not. They really aren't. They're not. The wife had her husband draw a sketch of the creature. They had no idea what it was, so they reported it to MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network. Right. So there was another sighting in Ohio. And then there was a man in the Bronx who said he also saw something very similar to a Fresno nightcrawler running down the streets. And he said that he felt like it was communicating with him telepathically saying Ooh. it was not going to hurt me and it made me feel safe. So that's good news that it doesn't seem that they're out there to get anybody. That's really good news. The footage that has been captured of these night crawlers was reviewed on the sci-fi show Fact or Faked. They determined that the footage was legit as they were not able to reproduce it when they tried to fake it for themselves. So yeah. I love it because so many of those fact and fiction, it's always fiction. I'm always like, uh, uh. Right, right. So there you go. That's the update on the Fresno Nightcrawlers that people have seen them in other places. They aren't seen a lot. They're very rarely seen, but they have been seen by more people than just the videos we've got of them being in California and Fresno and at the park. You know, Ohio, you could, you know, earn some money for your state and just have a nightcrawler hunt. Just raise like $3 million. There you go. Have a big hunt. Go looking for the night competition at the same time as the Bigfoot competition. Oh. You know, have the two O's going at it. O, O, O. Cryptid versus cryptid. Cryptid versus cryptid. So there you go. You can have a Fresno Nightcrawler um, uh, contest in Ohio versus the Oklahoma Sasquatch. And we should just do Bigfoot here in Oregon because we know that's really where he is so we should just also just do it and just copy it that's right Carol I loved your stories thanks what should we do our tarot reading on we think? should do it on the Dyatlov pass if that really is the answer if that's really true okay I think we could find that out by the cards that sounds good oh uh, we'll be right back thanks guys Now we are back. Holly, you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Um, I am using the um, Pagan Otherworlds Tarot. It's one of Carol's decks that she lent me. Um, and it's by Linnea Gitz and Peter Dunham. Thank you guys for your contributions to the tarot industry. Um, I pulled three cards and the question was, is this theory about the Dial of Pass mystery 
valid. What'd and they say? Uh, what I got was the three of swords in the reverse position, the ace of swords upright, and the queen of pentacles in the reverse position. That means that people cannot let this go. They cannot let it go. And it keeps coming up. And the government finally was like, fine, we'll do it. They're haunted by it. The ace of swords upright means new information has come uh. in to explain this is the theory that we're talking about, I believe, right? Or it can mean that new information will be arriving soon, but I'm going to go right now with this is the theory that they brought forth. <laughs> the queen of pentacles in the reverse position means that um, it has been widely rejected. So in my, is it a valid theory? It doesn't, I guess the the tarot cards are saying it doesn't really matter if it's valid or not. It's not being accepted. Therefore, it's not going to be considered a valid theory because people are so upset and angry about what has come forward from this investigation, how much um, mistrust they have over what was laid out before them, that they will not accept it as a reality. So, um, yeah, it just doesn't really matter if it's a good one or not. People will not accept it as real. Wow. So that that just correlates a lot with what I drew. Oh, really? I drew the death card reversed. And I'm using the Gregory Scott Tarot deck uh, artwork by David Corsi. And this one I've also used in the past. So we're, we're um, revisiting this deck. The death card is refusing to let something just die. You don't get closure on it. Um, okay. It's supposed to end this explanation is supposed to let everything just end and be resolved and it's not bringing closure okay the way that it it should be mm-hmm. um the nine of swords is telling me that indeed the the event that happened the explanation is pretty close to the truth because it's the nine of swords which is the card of suffering and really just um, a long drawn out suffering, which mm-hmm. would make sense with everything that they went through and right. trying terrible. to get warm and biting their fingers and stuff like that. So it wasn't a quick um, situation that a lot of us maybe thought happened within a few seconds, you right. know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the last card is the six of cups and that is also reversed and that's just refusing to move forward. So I do agree with Holly that, um, this explanation is not going to be accepted as the truth. They're just not going to give up on um, searching for an alternative answer because they're really just looking to blame it on the government. Right. So um, <laughs> that's our conclusion. Yes, that's it. All right, everybody. That uh, concludes another edition of Paranormal and Paranoid News. We hope you have a good week. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode. 